28. We'll read verse 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Last part of chapter number 12. Praise God. Actually, let's just go ahead and read. We'll start at verse 25 and read the last portion of that chapter. <clears throat> Hebrews is very interesting. Very interesting. There is discussion as to who the author of Hebrews is. There is uh, one argument that attributes Paul to the book of Hebrews, and that's the predominant one. And others are not sure if it's Paul or not. There's nothing in the book that tells us who the author is, but it is a powerful, powerful book. And in verse number 25, it says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word gets yet once more signified the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Let all that can be shaken, shake. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Brother Peyton Bradford preached this morning about the triumph of seeds and how that it is necessary in order to germinate some seeds. There needs to be a fire, something that breaks through the exoskeleton of a seed and allows it to develop. And he talked about that element being uh, light and water and sometimes fire. And so I'm going to pick up on that and talk about fire. And my title tonight is fire with an exclamation. <laughs> fire, fire, fire. Shut up in my bones. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Lord, we thank you and praise you tonight. We worship you. And we ask that you would help us in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. <laughs> Sister Betty, was that you yelling? I'm sorry. Every time I do it to you and catch you off guard. Shouting fire in a crowded theater is a popular analogy for speech or actions made for the principal purpose of creating panic. This phrase is a paraphrasing of Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., his opinion in the United States Supreme Court case, Schenck and the United States in 1919, which held that the defendant's speech in opposition to the draft during World War I was not protected free speech under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. The case was later partially overturned by Brandenburg versus Ohio in 1969, which limited the scope of banned speech to that which would be directed to and likely to incite imminent lawless action. This paraphrasing, shouting fire in a crowded theater, is different than Holmes' original wording in that it typically does not include the word falsely while also adding the word crowded to describe the theater. Yelling fire to create panic 
reveals a fear and trepidation of fire. And the United States Supreme Court said you may have the right to say some things, but you do not have the right that would incite lawless, imminent action. And so they had to define what that was. And they used that because people were very, very fearful of fire. Nowadays, it's connected to mass shootings and maybe some other things. But back in the early 1900s, it had to do with a fear of fire, a trepidation of fire. This is negatively connoted and assigned in a lot of history to the devil. This fear or panic of fire and, and all of its elements is connoted in a negative way to the devil. It's comic strip variety. As a matter of fact, there was actually a book that was written about the visual history of the devil in comics by Frederick Strongberg. And they act as if they're going to an actual place, this place that is called hell, and the devil is there in the front cover of this book. The devil has a weird mustache and goatee that's kind of pointed, and he has on a uh, red tuxedo, and he has horns coming out of his head, and he looks very, very evil, as if somehow he is operating from a, a place, a specific place, of operations, his office, as it were, uh, and, and he is there, and this is how he is operating. And so even in history, there are people that have gone back, and they have attached this notion of fire and fear and trepidation and panic and somehow this power that the devil has, the accuser of the brethren, as if he is in a, an actual place. But I find something very, very interesting in the Scripture about who controls fire and who controls hell. And there is a there is something very, very significant and very straightforward. And just by way of introduction here tonight, I want you to know that the devil is not in control, nor does fire originate from the devil. It comes from another source. Now, just let me say here before I, I launch into some verses here that there should be an understanding about what Sheol is and what the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna is. And there's a development of that term. If you read verses in the Old Testament like Isaiah where it says hell hath enlarged itself. The King James Version is translating Sheol as hell. And then in the New Testament it's carrying on the same word hell to describe Gehenna. But they're two different words. One is a Hebrew word and one is a Greek word. And they have different association and definitions and understanding about them. In the Old Testament when you read Sheol it's talking about shades of the grave. This is one of the reasons why the psalmist said, who's going to praise you in Sheol? If, if my voice is cut off, my breath is cut off, and I have no opportunity to worship you, who is going to worship you? Because for them, the worst place that you could be is in Sheol, which silences you. And there's shades of Sheol. It's kind of a mysterious place. So hell enlarging itself means more people are dying, and they're going into this, this place, this gathering place of shades of, of hell or or Sheol, and they cannot 
not praise God. This was kind of the understanding in the Old Testament Hebrew mind. They had no context or understanding of hell as being a lake of fire. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes along, there was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom. And I've had the opportunity to actually look into the Valley of Gehenna where there was a great trash dump. And in order to get rid of the trash, they would burn the trash. And it was the Valley of Hinnom and Gehenna became associated with the trash and the maggots and the worm not dying. And Jesus made reference to that. And so the idea of Sheol expanded into an understanding of Gehenna. And so fire and all of this association it was a developed thing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But what I found in the scripture is this. Fire is a central element of the description of theophanies throughout biblical literature. A theophany is where God, who is a spirit that cannot be seen, reveals himself in a way in which people can associate with what is unseen. And fire is something that is utilized from God himself. In fact, when Abraham makes a covenant and agrees that I'm going to follow you, I'm coming out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and I am following you, I'm going to trust in the promises of God, and they make a covenant, and Abraham gives a sacrifice to God. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. So in a theophany, God through fire said, Abraham, because of your sacrifice and your faithfulness, I'm going to respond to you in my faithfulness. And as a sign to that, it was a fire that let Abraham know that God is pleased with my sacrifice. Later in the scripture, Moses, we find him in the desert and there is a burning bush and God appears in the burning bush. Exodus chapter three and verse two, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. This piqued his curiosity. Moses recognized that this is something outside of what is natural. And it was a fire in a burning bush in which God spoke to him and said, Moses, I am the I am, and I'm going to be with you in what I have called you to become. It was with fire that this took place. When Moses began developing the children of Israel and leading them out of Egyptian bondage, and he gathers them together outside of Egypt, and they are making preparations for religious worship and directions, he calls all of the people to Mount Sinai. And in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 18, when everybody gathers together and they find themselves at the foot of the mountain, the scripture said Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. God revealed his power and his ability through a fire in order to illustrate how great he was and how awesome he was to the children of Israel. He came down on a mountain and there was a fire and there was smoke that was associated with it. There is great combustible material and opportunity that happens when God descends and it is like a fire. There is a moving. There is a 
breakout. It is a move of God, and it appears like a fire. Ladies and gentlemen in the house of God tonight, that didn't originate with the devil, and he doesn't control that. The one that controls the power, the one that controls the authority, the one that controls the combustibility is God who comes down like a fire and consumes whatever is in his path. And so that's my introduction here tonight, and I want to say emphatically that fire belongs solidly in the corner of God, and it reveals his action, his power, and his holiness. God is a consuming fire in the sense of refining you, not destroying you. So I want to rip the cover off of the manipulation of the enemy who thinks he has the authority and the power to impress upon people's minds that he's operating from some place where there is fire and he's in authority of it. No, he is not. That fire is a consuming fire that refines each and every one of us. You shouldn't be afraid of the consuming fire. That's not of the devil, but that is of God. God is taking me somewhere. He's a consuming fire. He's burning out all the impurities in me and he is saving me by the power of his ability. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. God is a consuming fire. Job, Job goes all the way back in chronology somewhere, they say, to match up with somewhere in, in Genesis. It is one of the older books. And so if you read in a chronological order, you're going to read part of Genesis and then do a deep dive into Job. And in Job chapter 23 and verse number 10, Job said, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job said, I'm not running away from the flame. I'm not running away from the burning. I'm not running away from the fire. I don't understand what I'm going through. I can't give you explanations and tell you why I'm in the state that I'm in, but I know this. God knows every step that I'm taking. He knows the way that I'm taking, and he's a God that's going to refine me. I may feel like I'm under duress, and I'm in a consuming fire, but it's because God's doing something in my life. The accuser may come around, but it's God that is refining me. He's making me what I need to be. I want to preach to somebody in the house of God tonight. Don't be fearful of what God intends for your life, but recognize he's a consuming fire that refines and he burns off the drost and all of the impurities. And so when I come forth, I'm going to come forth as gold. Don't resist what he's doing because when you resist, you're hiding the gold inside. There's so much impurities on the outside. This is, this is a great picture of repentance. When you start repenting and the fire of God's consuming power starts burning off and working some things off of you. What comes out of that is gold tried in the fire. Silver tried in the fire. God is doing something in your life. He's refining some things in your life. He's burning some things off that are impure in your life. Don't resist it. Embrace it. Don't walk away from it. Say, God, I want everything that you've got for me. Put me on the potter's wheel. Put me in the furnace and let me come forth as gold. 
Job said, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The fire is God's divine action. Fire is frequently a symbol of destruction, and it's associated with the wrath of God and his jealousy. The origination of fire comes from God himself not the devil. It comes from God. Praise God. And it is associated with his divine action. It has to do with his judgment and it has to do with his jealousy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 23. This was given to the children of Israel. Take heed unto yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make you a graven image or any likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire even a jealous God. Our text is a reiteration of this passage of Scripture. God is a consuming fire. There we recognize that all that can shake will be shaken, and what comes forth is a refinement. But here it has to do with the jealousy of God as it pertains to people that are worshiping him or idolatry. Idolatry takes the place of worship before God, and God hates it. He is jealous, and he will burn like a fire to protect people that worship him. I don't want to worship an idol somewhere. They were told here, don't worship an idol because there is a consuming divine action that will take place because I am a jealous God. Listen, Jesus is concerned about your worship to him and he's very jealous that you would give it somewhere to some secular idol somehow in carnality. He wants true worship to come forth from people that worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why I worship the way that I worship. I'm not going to worship to some idol in the world somewhere, but I am going to worship the one that saved me, sanctified me, redeemed me, and has a, a mercy and a faithfulness to me. That's why I worship him. And he's jealous because of that. Praise God, praise God. Don't let him run by himself. Hallelujah. God is interested in your worship to him. It matters. I said it matters. It matters how you worship. It matters what you are worshiping to. Put God as the central point in your life. And don't worship anything else. Amen. This is one of the reasons why in Elijah, his ministry, there were several occasions in which fire fell from heaven. And it had to do with Baal idolatry and worshiping some sexual god that had inroads to agriculture and all kinds of other stuff and the one true living God. There was such a halting between two opinions that Elijah found him right at the center of a conflict, mainly with King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And on multiple occasions, there was fire that fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. In one case, it consumed people that were coming in representation to the idol. God answered by fire. The origination was God's judgment and God's jealousy. I don't want you serving other gods. I want you serving me. Praise God. And fire falls. Amen. When the children of Israel defy King Nebuchadnezzar, they are thrown into the fire. King Nebuchadnezzar wrongly thinks that the fire originates 
made somewhere else other than God and thinks that that's going to be a punishment to the children of Israel. They said, we're not careful in how we answer you. If we die, we die. But this one thing we know, we trust God and believe God and we will never bow to the image that you have erected in the plain. We are not bowing down. They threw them into the fiery furnace. They heated it up seven times hotter and they threw the children of Israel in there. And then when they did that, King Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, I see four. I thought we only threw in three. But it looks like there is one like the Son of Man that is walking with them in the midst of the burning furnace and in the fire. You know why that's significant? It's because God is the God of the fire. And these particular boys were thrown in the fire, but God just wanted to show up and say, hey, I'm more powerful than your image. I'm more powerful than you are, King Nebuchadnezzar. The very men that threw them into the fire died. But God was walking through a theophany in a manifestation of his power and his ability. He was walking in the furnace. He was walking in the fire. You may feel like you're in the fire, but I want to preach to you tonight and tell you there is a God that is walking with you. I said there is a God that is walking with you. As a metaphor of God's holiness, it may also purge or purify. When the children of Israel are coming back from Babylonian exile, the psalmist in Psalm 66, the psalms were written over a period of time. Not all of them are associated with one psalmist. David is associated with a lot of them. Solomon is. Moses is, is one of them as well. It's a collection of the life and culture of the Hebrews, and so it comes from a variety a wide variety of authors, and some of those authors were some of the people that were in captivity in Babylon. And in Psalm 66 and verse number 10, you get an example of that. It says, for thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou brought us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. We went through fire. We went through water. They, they in some ways could have been saying we have walked through hell, but you're a God that brought us in a refining strength and ability, and you have brought us into a wealthy place. I want to say this very emphatically. There's some things that God has burned off in my life that I'm not going to sit around and complain about and talk about and wish for those days ever again because the consuming fire that burned burned out the impurities, has brought me to a place of wealth and blessing that I would never have gotten if it had not been for God's anointing and his power and his fire. Praise God. That is a testimony. I'm not looking back wishing for times that I could have been something or done something back there. I wasted time in my teenage years. I could have been doing this or I could have been doing that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God has blessed you if he has kept you from the things that you're thinking about and talking about and wishing God has kept you from a lot of hurt and dysfunction and he's brought you to a place of wealth. Don't let the world pose itself, market itself as if you have missed out on something. You haven't missed out on anything. All that you have missed out is the hurt and the bitterness and the pain and the shame of the world. But in the 
house of God. There is blessing. He's brought me to a place of wealth. It is a wealthy, it is a wealthy place. You can turn to your neighbor and say, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm wealthy. I may not have two pennies to rub together. I might have had a little bit in the bank, but inflation's eating it. I might have had a retirement, but it's disappearing fast too. You, 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 you can't bank on things in this world. <laughs> you, can't, you can't put your trust in riches and wealth. The Bible says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God because he has put us in a wealthy place. I may not have money, but I'm wealthy. I may not have a lot of uh, material things, but I'm blessed of the Lord and it's a wealthy place. I've got peace. I can lay my head on a pillow at night and get up the next day and not worry about what I did or what I didn't do. Can't even remember what I did. I know what I did last night. When tomorrow comes, I was in the house of the Lord. I was worshiping him. I was feeling after him if happily he might be found. I experienced his anointing. Amen. <laughs> And it's a new day, and I can sing a new song because he has put me in a wealthy place. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord. Fire is his divine action, and it also operates as his servant. <laughs> the fire originates with God, not the devil. And he uses fire as his servant. Psalm 104, verse number one says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, and then verse number four, it says this, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. He makes his ministers a flaming fire. Praise God. If you want a polar bear of a preacher to get up here and give you ice and snow, praise God, you come to the wrong place <laughs> because he makes his ministers a flame of fire. <laughs> He's not talking about just, he's talking about an energy. There is an energy. When a fire combusts, there's an energy, there is a roar, there is a movement. There's all kinds of things that happen. Let this pulpit be a place in which preaching comes forth with energy and inspiration. Hallelujah. Let the zeal of thy house eat me up and let me present the gospel in a way in which it is celebratory and never negative. Let me talk about the truths of God as a positive thing, not a negative thing. Let me preach a gospel in which I want to enter into the kingdom rather than wanting to run away from the kingdom. Is there an apostolic person in this house that can identify with what I'm talking about? Let there be a minister that is a flame of fire. Let there be energy in the pulpit. Let there be energy in the pew. Let there be energy outside of the house of God as God makes individuals ministers of fire. 
Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Mm, there, there, is a, there is a word that comes forth. His word is as a fire. It is a consuming fire. Zechariah, to give you an example of this, of how fire becomes the servant of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 1. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, for the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Joshua is standing there. Joshua is a representative of the people going from uh, captivity, going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls. He was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. He was the high priest. Here he is standing before the Lord. And Satan is there as well, the accuser of the brethren. He always shows up to accuse. And the scripture tells us that the Lord rebuked Satan and said, this is a brand plucked out of the fire. <laughs> You're not the originator of the fire. I'm the originator of the fire. And this is a refining process. And I'm pulling a branch out of the fire by the name of Joshua. And he's going to be a branch plucked out of the fire to remind you that you're not the originator of the fire and you're not the originator of refinement. I am. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and he stood before the angel and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. He was he was in a filthy garment. He represented the children of Israel that forgot their first love, carried off into captivity, finally come to their senses, repented, and said, God, we want to be used of you. And they come to God, and they're in a filthy garment, and the accuser is there to remind them of their past. And yet God says, I'm plucking a brand out of the fly, a fire to refine Joshua, and I want to remind Satan that you don't have the ability to do what I'm fixing to do. I'm going to take somebody who's been dirtied up, somebody that is clothed with all kinds of dirt and mud and difficulty. I'm going to pull them out of the fire. I'm going to put a new clothing on them. I'm going to cleanse them. Nobody can do what Jesus can do. Nobody can do what God can do. All, this, all the accuser can do is tear you down. All Satan can do is condemn you. Hallelujah. But God can pluck you out of the fire and and say, my fire is going to consume. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to put you in a new garment. Praise God. Joshua was a brand plucked out of the fire as a rebuke to Satan. Mm. Amen. The musicians can get ready here. The third thing is fire is a representation of God's holiness. It's his action. He can use fire as a servant. And it's a it is also a representation of his holiness. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 10, listen to this. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And I turned and 
to see the voice that spake to me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, which represented the seven churches. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Listen, let me just say something right here. You may think, and, and maybe you've been entrapped by all of the paintings, and if you've been into art at all and you enjoy art, at all, you'll look at some of the paintings of past history and you will see Jesus that comes off looking like he, he's, he's, he's kind of feminine in nature and he doesn't, he looks like somebody could just run right over him and he looks like this uh, Anglo Saxon, white, tall, long haired dude with blue eyes. He looks like straight out of, of, of a white man's land. That, that's, not, that's not Jesus at all. There's a picture in this back hallway. If you ever get a chance, go back there. And look at what Forensics Magazine, when, when they tried to decide what Jesus would look like, he looks much, much different. He looks very bulky, muscular. He looks like a fisherman, and he looks like you could punch him in the face and he wouldn't even move. He looks kind of Neanderthalish because he was outdoor, out, outdoors. He was a carpenter. He, he was a fisherman. He was not somebody that you could blow on and he would fall over. And John, in this passage of Scripture, gives us the, the antithesis of what you see in those paintings. This Jesus has eyes of fire because he's interested in salvation. Praise God. He's interested in Calvary. He's willing to go to the cross for each and every one of us and carry the burden of shame and despise it. There is an eye of fire that says, you know what? I'm going to die for the sins of all humanity. And I'm not going to walk away from this, but I'm going to face it with power and ability. And his eyes are eyes of fire. Mm, this is the same Jesus talking about here that puts the fire in us. For John said in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> huh? And with fire. You know why? Because he's the originator of fire. He's the one that has the authority, if not the devil. The devil has nothing. He has no power, no authority of the fire. And in fact, in, in a minute, you're going to see where I'm going with this. God has the authority and power, of the, even to the point where he can use it as a servant. And when he fills us with the Holy Ghost, the representation that he puts in a likeness is the fire settling on us. For in Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 1, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. It was like as of fire. It appeared like fire. It sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Praise God. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the fire that settles into my life that is a combustible power that gives me the strength to be an overcomer. Hallelujah. It's the fire of God's anointing. Praise God. Amen. Not only does he put his fire within us and prepares us as a tabernacle, but he prepares for us a city as well. Not so with the devil. Not so with the devil. The devil, the devil, the adversary, the accuser. When used as a proper name, the Hebrew word is rendered 
with the article, the adversary in Job. In the New Testament, it's interchangeable with diabolos or the devil that's used 30 times. He's called the dragon, the old serpent, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. He's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He is Beelzeb, the prince of the devils. He is the constant enemy of God, of Christ, of the divine kingdom, of the followers of Christ, of all truth. He is full of falsehood and all malice and exciting and seducing to evil in every possible way. I don't want anything to do with the devil, but I want everything to do with Jesus Christ his power is great in the world he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour men are said to have been taken captive by him Christians are warned against his devices and called to resist him Christ redeems his people from him that had the power of death that is the devil but I want to say here tonight he does not control hell hell is a reminder of his future the originator of the fire is God and God prepares a place and lets the devil know one of these days you're going to a place of fire you don't control it you don't have any authority over it but it's going to be a place where you reside praise God when you feel the heat and the pressure and the struggle and the enemy comes to try to condemn you you need to square your shoulders lift your head and say you know what I may be going through a refining process and faith in life but I want you to rem I want to remind you of something one of these days you're going there to your destruction he's he's homeless unless he incarnates or resides in humanity praise God people always want to pin the blame on God but the devil and his evil incarnation incarnates in the life of humanity and humanity does some terrible, terrible stuff. And it has to be that way. There, there, is no, there is no alternative. If God takes away the ability of evil and the enemy to incarnate into humanity, then we become robots. He gave to us a choice. That's why I'm in the house of God here tonight because I choose to worship him. Amen. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a lot of people in this world. They're all strung out, mixed up, and there's some evil people in this world. They have that choice and they have that ability and they're walking underneath the power of evil. But I'm not choosing evil. I don't want to talk about it. I want to hate it. I want to abhor it. I'm walking in the light. I'm not walking in darkness. I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in the goodness of the Lord. Praise God. And so in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, as we stand, here's what John says about the power of God and his ability and authority of fire. It says in verse number 10 of chapter 20, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it and from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell were delivered into, delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged, every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I want to say that there is an obvious descending level of definition when it comes to the word hell. Because we talked about the biblical definition. And that, in any dictionary, that takes priority because it's always talking about a theological understanding of hell. But then there's some secular understanding that also comes into that. And there's different levels of definition. That's, that, that's Be very, very careful when somebody uses a word don't go out and attack them based on what you think is the definition without first looking up the word to seeing what all the definitions are. Somebody did that to me some time ago and you look at the definition, there's multiple definitions. Okay. So be very, very careful when you do that. I was kind, very kind. Just gave them the definition that I was referring to didn't have to say anything more. There are secular definitions of hell, which are things like a place or state of turmoil or destruction, severe scolding, unrestrained sportiveness, fun, an extremely unpleasant or escapable situation, an interjection or an intensive, being the worst or most dreadful of its kind, very hard on or destructive to the constant difficulties. Difficulties of whatever kind or size. Dire consequences. These are all the lesser definitions of hell. And so what I would say to you here tonight is this. Throw the lesser definitions of hell into the greater definition because that is exactly what God does. In the scripture that we read in Revelation, he creates because he's the originator and he's the one that has authority over the fire. And so when all things wrap up, the false prophet, deception, manipulation, and everything else is thrown into the lake of fire. The beast is thrown into the lake of fire. Everything is thrown into the consuming fire because God has the authority and the ability of it. All the lesser definitions of whatever you're going through because God is a consuming fire, throw all of those things into the greater consuming fire because that is throwing it into the authority of God because he's the one that controls the fire and the ability and the power and the energy. If you're in dire circumstances, throw that into the consuming fire. If you're facing obstacles, throw that into the consuming fire. If you feel like you're walking through hell, throw hell into the consuming fire and let the authority of God burn up everything that is not right. Amen. Let God consume all the trouble, the problems, the difficulties, the unpleasantness, the turmoil. Amen. The devil's thrown into the lake of fire. Every evil is thrown into the lake of fire. 
There's discussion in Revelation about things that are going to be thrown into the fire. He said, fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars shall all have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Take fear and throw it into the fire. Take difficulties and abominable things that you've done or have been done to you and throw it into the consuming fire. You know what the consuming fire is? It's the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Everything that might rise up against you, throw it into the fire. Praise God. The false prophet that would come to you and try to deceive you, throw it in the fire. The beast that would come to you and try to eat you up and destroy you, throw it into the fire. Everything that you face, throw it into the Spirit of God because it is a consuming Some of you may say tonight, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. Well, you're just not there yet because some of us feel like we're walking through difficulties and struggles and circumstances and the lesser definition would be we feel like we're walking through hell. But just know this, there's something greater than what you're going through and it's the consuming fire that has the power and the ability to burn up all the insignificant things and on a level that is greater through his anointing and power and spirit is able to burn off all of the dross and make you come forth shining as gold gold and as silver I feel the Holy Ghost in this place here tonight amen you need to lift your hands praise God hallelujah and lift up your voice and say God I want you to be a consuming fire in my life I'm not walking away from it I'm not leaving it I'm not fearful of it praise God but I want you to burn off and refine some things in my heart and life praise God you're facing turmoil you may feel like you're walking through hell but just keep walking keep trusting God keep relying on God if I were you I'd step out of the pew where I was and I would take all of those things the fear the unbelief the depression the bitterness the difficulty the sin the evil stuff that is involved the dysfunction and I would cast it on God praise God